Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's episode of The Watch. A lot of different things on today's episode. Andy and I talked about the release of the new Beyonce and Jay-Z record and a bunch of the Kanye-produced stuff that's come out. We call them the Wyoming records over the last few weeks. Uh, And the idea of culture as events. So basically, whether it's sports or music or movies or TV, how are people trying to eventize moments in culture? Um, And we talked about that because of the World Cup, but also because of the political climate of the world right now and how that kind of balances itself out. We also talked about what is my favorite show on TV right now, uh, Succession, in the second half of the podcast. And Andy had some notes on that. But uh, if you are on the fence about this show, I would highly recommend sticking around for the third and next week's fourth episode because I think... It's some of the strongest stuff I've seen on TV this year. A lot of great stuff on The Ringer this week. Obviously, we responded in uh, in full to the Carter's record. Great pieces from Rob Harvilla and Lindsay Zolads. Um, there's also a lot of great stuff on the World Cup, the NBA draft. Everything you need is on TheRinger.com. Please check out the Westworld, the Recapables with Shoemaker Heifetz and Sean Fennessy this week if you want to catch up on all the Westworld stuff. And uh, stick around this week. We will be going live on Thursday night as a sort of watch along with the NBA draft. And I'll be hosting that along with a bunch of the people from the ringer. So without further ado, let's get into the watch. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to the watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I'm the editor at the ringer.com and joining me in the studio, the watch's own Chucky Lozano. It's Andy Greenwald. You just turned it on for the cameras. I love it. Well, I see. I'm, you know what this is about? It's about conservation. Mm-hmm. I don't Don't tell Scott Pruitt that, but <laughs> yeah. it's all about conservation. He wouldn't be interested. And so when I'm with you personally, I'm yeah. going to give you like 18%, you are, maybe okay. 36%. Uh-huh. And then when I get in front of the cameras, in the mics, it's go time. You are a red light player. <laughs> you are amazing. Andy, it's Monday. Uh, it's it's the end of a long weekend of sport for me. Um, but we're going to talk a little bit about succession later. We're also going to talk about, we're going to talk a little bit about this Carter's record. Yeah, but Event albums uh, in general. Yeah, but if, I want to talk a little bit about the last few weeks of of Wyoming records, as you described them, mm-hmm. um, versus some of our past experiences with hot summers of, mm-hmm. of rap and pop music. Um, we were going to maybe talk about Westworld, but I think we might punt that to Thursday because... We could keep punting. <laughs> like, I, we could just punt that right Are out of the stadium. Are you keeping up with, like, what... Do you read Twitter about it? Yes. Um, I, I, you know, I was very intrigued by the episode that was supposed to be really good. The last week's one. The, um, the Ghost Nation one. So intrigued. Yeah. I almost watched it. And then I was, you know, then I was going to watch last night, and then I basically texted you and I said, do I have to do this? I think I said, are you going to do this... Or not, and you said would rather not. So, and here we are. Just a nice night on the couch. But watching, that's okay uh, because I think that the uh, people. Uh huh. I, I want to rather than say like reasons why maybe we don't like something. I think the people come to us for why we do like stuff. Sure. So, are we going to talk about Mexico's one nil victory? Let's do it. So, succession a little bit later, but first, I you know this is. This has been a fun weekend for me because I don't know if you've ever read any books by this uh, guy named Dan Jenkins. I don't think so. Very crotchety old uh, sports writer now, but wrote North Dallas 40 uh-huh. and was sort of one of the great uh, Sports Illustrated, sports magazine columnists. And was really, he has a book that came out, I think in the late 80s, but it might have been in the early 90s called You Gotta Play Hurt. And it's about um, a uh, a guy who just basically his 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 not doppelganger. What is it when you have like your stand-in, your author, author stand-in? 
your 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 avatar. Your there you go. Yeah, uh, and it's basically about a year in the life of this sports columnist, mm-hmm. but he is living high off the land. Mm-hmm. Even though in the book there's a lot of like budget cuts at the magazine, it doesn't stop him from basically living at the Four Seasons all over the sure. globe, doing a year in sports. So he'll go to he went he goes to like Game Seven of the NBA Finals, and then he goes to like this, the Olympics. This, this book sounds great, and he goes like the Rose Bowl, and then he goes to the World Series. It's a great, great book. It probably is a little bit retrograde in its attitudes towards women. And towards uh, expense accounts, and apparently. expense accounts. Uh, I haven't read it in a very long time, but it's always stuck with me. And the reason why I bring it up is because this weekend is actually was a real you got to play hurt weekend. Because it was like the World Cup and the U.S. Open were very, we're all gathering. I mean, obviously, I'm a huge soccer fan, but it just was like everybody was sort of gathering around the tube mm-hmm. to check out these not one-off events, but these special events in sports. So it was kind of very enjoyable this weekend with, with uh, especially Mexico. Uh, yeah. The Mexico match was amazing. Um, but also even some of the stuff that happened Saturday at the U.S. Open, because I don't know if you know, but Phil Nicholson made a fool of himself. I uh, heard that. Yeah. Uh, which is, I, I don't think I've, I mean, I do it all the time where I stop my ball, <laughs> but then I'm like, you know, I, that's a 10. So, so, yeah. so what happened was he took, this is one of the most established golfers in the world. Well, probably he, a top fifteen all time golfer. And he, he took he took a shot and then just just gave it a little extra. So the, the greens were very dry, baked okay. greens. This is that sounds like and marijuana so, talk. Uh, what, what basically, you couldn't stop the ball. Like if you hit it and it got on a down slope, it just like rolled all the way because there were the greens were essentially like pavement. Okay, there was no there was no grip to the greens. Wow. And uh, Phil was out there. He was playing very poorly. Uh-huh. Um, he was playing with a man named Beef. His name, the other guy's name is is Beef Johnson. That's for real, his name? Yeah, it's his nickname, but everybody calls him Beef. And Phil was just completely like crashing and burning. Yeah. And he putted the ball and it went past the hole and you could see that it was going to roll down the hill uh-huh. all the way back. And yeah. he was going to have to chip it back up and then that might go too far. So he, instead of going through all that, he just ran over to the ball and hit it back up the hill. Oh. And was assessed a two-stroke penalty. And for a while, everybody was like, oh, we're going to disqualify him from the yeah. tournament. But he didn't. And he he was not exactly, he was a little bit like, if you didn't like that, I'm sorry, but also toughen up. Can I say something? Yeah, sure. That's kind of like me on Twitter these days. How so? I've definitely sometimes like loaded up the tweet cannon with some real <laughs> thoughts about our country's situation and behavior at the border. Uh-huh. And I stop it before it rolls downhill. You know what I mean? Like, I actually, I, re- I know nothing about golf and uh-huh. nor do I care about it. But I kind of respect a dude who just sees the future yeah. and sees what's coming. And it's like, nope. He was like, I'm going to be out here for another 11 minutes chipping up and down yeah. on this green. That's basically about as hard as like a blacktop. Meanwhile, yeah. beef is just rolling on. Laughing. Laughing. Beef was just like, I can't believe this is happening. I can relate to this on an emotional level. I have to say, it was. That's the thing I like about golf is that it is uh, the human condition on display (laughs) times a thousand. It's like everything that you are comes out. If you're competitive, if you're just there for like the giggles, like if you're just if you're trying to be better, if you don't like pressure situations, if you do like pressure situations, and the guy who won Mm -hmm. is this dude named Brooks Kepka, Mm -hmm. who's essentially like golf is corny. Oh. Like golf is for losers. So he's my avatar. No, he's like, he's like six foot five. He has veneers and he looks like he could bench press both of us with (laughs) one arm. And like the only reason why he hasn't won like multiple majors is because he like tore the tendon off his wrist, probably from curling. Is this, this is not beef? (laughs) No, this is Brooks. Okay. And he won, but his whole vibe is kind of like, this is for suckers. (laughs) Like I'd much (laughs) rather be playing baseball. Wow. Yeah. I'm into sport envy. 
Like if you think you're playing the wrong sport. Yes, me too. I love that. That's fascinating. I love that. Um, it's interesting to talk about this stuff for me also because we have long history in this podcast of having a very um, complicated relationship or, or just a committed relationship to shared spectacle. Mm -hmm. We want to watch things with people and we want to share these things with people. And we want, you know, we miss constantly like, like the two old cranks that we've become the time when we were all watching the same, same shows together. Sure, I definitely we, want to be we, watching England instead of making this podcast right now. <laughs> well, we have an alert system. I believe members- Snowden is going gonna, is gonna to do a series of English-friendly signals if yeah, England members scores. of the social social staff just in the same room as us <laughs> yeah. will wear their beef heater caps. <laughs> not caps, they're large. Anyway, um, but if we could pivot just for a moment to the music stuff, because sure. I think that's where it's most relevant, because it seems like- we have been doing this podcast for as long as there have been these event albums and surprise albums. And that's a good point. It, have it, we it, more? I mean, we, we have been podcasting through the advent of this yeah. era yeah. and it's been interesting to watch it unfold this year, particularly with Kanye's Wyoming records. And now this total surprise release of the Carters this weekend, um, because I am now completely split where I I get it. I understand why it is important from a marketing uh, and disruption, which I hate even saying, perspective. Sure. To unveil your records like this. You have, I mean, music is not central to the cultural conversation in the way that it once was. Certainly the album release is not central the way it once was. You have to grab hold of the zeitgeist with whatever you possibly can and try to basically wrestle um, Twitter and everything else into submission to pay attention to you. Yes. I, I, I get that. And they you know? face a similar problem that you t we talked about with Glover, with Donald Glover mm -hmm. last week or two weeks ago, where um, they are not only competing with the other new releases, but they mm -hmm. were competing with every piece of music ever released because yep. of the way we can listen to music now. We can change our minds in midstream and listen to the song that Quite we'd rather be yeah. listening to or the song that inspired the song that we're listening to. So, I get all that, but I think that so far, and obviously some of these records are very new, um, but they are asking to be judged entirely. I mean, they are being almost constructed for the cycle of instant think piece, instant charticle mm -hmm. that we live in. And I really do think the spectacle has wildly outstripped the content. And I don't even know if that matters um, this time around, this year. We can go through these records because we've skipped talking about a bunch of them. And I think that's kind of telling in and of itself. But the Carter's record to me, more than anything else, and I've only listened to it briefly because, listen, shouts to Doug, I'm not going through this title drama again. Yeah. I'm, I am not. I so that means, everybody knows what that means. That means I've had some- By all accounts, Doug pushed the right button. He did. But, yeah. but this, everybody understands that what I'm saying here is based on a couple YouTube spins over the weekend and some just deep, deep Spotify diving in the two and a half hours that I've been awake before sure. having to do everything I had to do today. Um, it really just seems like a, it is a marketing statement. It is a um, fascinating cultural document. And I'm, honestly, I felt this way kind of about Lemonade too. Like, I, I think that these, are, I think that what they're expressing here about their marriage is, you know, of, of, I guess, of artistic value, considering that they've made this trilogy about the state of their union. I think they're mining what they have. I think they're doing some forward thinking stuff with the choreography, with the imagery by taking over the Louvre. But I don't really care about their bank statements. I'm happy they're happy. You know, sure. There is something, I'm finding this, you know, maybe this is a, a similar argument that one could make about a TV show, which is that, you know, you, you put the conflict in 
and that makes a good show. But the show about how everyone's doing fine, I mean, it's Jim and Pam in the last three seasons of The Office. It's like, we're glad they're fine, but you don't need to make a TV show about them anymore. I think I've resisted like commenting on some of these records because I've probably arrived at my the point in my life where I understand fully that my opinion about these records has no bearing on them. Fair. And uh, I think I, whether that was hubris or not, like 10 years ago, just mm-hmm. felt like much more like, I have a certain set of criteria yeah. that these records need to meet and you are deviating from this and hence you failed or you've you know satisfied this and hence you succeeded. So I think that now I'm a little bit more like, this is what happens to people as they get older. It's like pop music, with, with, with rare exception, you just realize that pop music is targeted towards a completely younger demographic than you are. Well, Jay Stylist is doing good work here. I thought Lindsay Zolad's piece <laughs> that came on The Ringer today was great, just reframing the relationship as Beyonce as the alpha in the relationship and what it says about her musically on the record, how she's doing basically... She she's behaving on the record like a rapper, and Jay Z is behaving like an R and B singer because he's doing the emotional lifting on it while she's just stunting. Um, that's all fine. That's good. Um, but musically, I, 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 I'm if you divorce it from the spectacle, if you don't watch the video, I don't know what's really. I don't know what's there. I mean, but now they have new songs to play on their concert that they're doing. Sure, so that's the purpose yeah. of it. Right. The Wyoming stuff we got to run through for a, a minute. AKA the Kanye records. The Kanye yeah. records. One of the reasons we've avoided this, I'll say, I'll say one of the reasons I've avoided this is because the Kanye record is ass. Right. It's terrible. Uh, it's embarrassing, I think. And it's very, it, it's almost nice that people have propped it up and tried to pretend that one could actually like bleed if you put your hand on a stove, but yo, you can't. Mm-hmm. It would be pretty tricky to do it. Um, and it's, the whole run has been mostly frustrating because it was, again, like he set this, deadline for himself and then threw stuff out there. Now, well, by all they, accounts, also had a record done that he then scrapped and redid in two weeks, yes. right? Yeah. Which is unfortunate. The Daytona, I think, is the album or co-album of the year. I think it's incredible. And it the actually, other one being Father John? The, you're so cruel about that. No, our homies rolling, rolling blackouts, that man. Father John record is the shit. Really, though? Yeah. Come on now. Come on. Um... <laughs> The, the Pusher record is the best one because it's the most considered, right? It's unfair almost that it came first because it feels like it was actually worked on and considered as a statement. Kid See Ghost record, I like a lot. Um, I like a lot because the title track, Kanye and Cuddy are basically doing the the massive attack flow. Yeah. Like Karma Coma style. Sure. Which, you know, that is a very small, small group of people who have been waiting for to hear that. But what did you think I'm of the Nas that. record? Sorry, I just fell asleep. What? <laughs> the Nas record... The Nas record is a missed opportunity, I feel like. I think the Slick Rick samples track is good. But what what did you think of it? I mean, I, I just feel like, again, if you told me it's the spectacle versus the substance here, and I'm not mad at spectacle. We live in a spectacle world right now. And having a Nas listening party for a seven-track record produced by Kanye under the Brooklyn Bridge like they did last week and everyone's, you know, tweeting, putting their phones up, being like, this is classic Nas. This is back to that Illmatic shit. Like, we're finally getting him. We're finally getting the bars over the beats that we've been promised. And then, like, sometimes Saturday afternoon, it sort of dribbles onto Spotify. Right. And you're like, ugh, what is, what is it? Well, this goes back to the event. This yeah. goes back to this idea of us all gathered around some sort of, like, bright and shining object and freaking out about it. 
one of the probably defining cultural moments mm-hmm. in, and there's been a few, but in our friendship, the one that we always go back to and talk about and reference, and it was probably- Was it the time we drove to Camden to buy a copy of Wu-Tang Forever? That was pretty was good. That was a good day. That was pretty good. And you want to talk about people standing under the Brooklyn Bridge with their phones <laughs> out. That was definitely the, the late 90s version of that That was us. some real, like— uh, was, Early aughts version of that. Yeah. Um, but it was Good Fridays, which was this—what uh, yeah. was that? The summer of 07? No, no, no. Uh, good Fridays was leading up to um, Fantasy, which came out in 10. Okay, so it's the, the summer of 10, and it was— uh, you know, a series of releases that was singles that would drop on Fridays on the internet. And when I say the internet, I I do mean like there would be an initial drop and then you would find like a Z-share link that had yeah. CDQ and CD quality. There was a little like QuickTime box on KanyeWest.com yeah. on Friday afternoons. Yeah, and so it was, it felt like it was building up to something. Mm-hmm. It actually felt like there was being ground groundwork laid to get somewhere. And that what that somewhere was, was... Twisted Fantasy, which is, remains my favorite Conway, Kanye record. Um, but that felt like a, a like an actual plan and an actual experience mm-hmm. rather than this is one of 67 things that I'm doing mm-hmm. and I'm just going to kind of give you the sensation of a Kanye West record and even some of the quote-unquote best parts on Ye and the best parts on, on Ghost and the best parts on Nas are these... Uh, coming attractions for things that never happen. Mm-hmm. Um, there'll be like a five second thing where you're like, oh my God, here, this, this is what's about to happen. And then it doesn't, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And then it, whether it's lyrically kind of facile or it's just sort of empty in terms of its ideas, or it feels like it's a sketch rather than a finished painting. And I'm all for like a punkish DIY rendering mm-hmm. of a person's creative process. But this just feels uh, way more about the wristbands you have to get to get to the the listening session rather than what they're playing at the listening session. Now, another question that I have to ask is this also, it's we're talking specifically about records that people who listen to the show could take or leave, probably. Uh, maybe some people are into it, some people aren't. But I we could plug TV shows into the same conversation. Yes. And I think a bigger question that I know neither of us really wants to talk about, but it's also sort of, it's it's influencing all of our cultural appreciation at the moment is the state of the world. Mm -hmm. And do these things just feel, is it that someone like Kanye, who a few years ago um, mastered the narrative and storytelling of all of it? Because the thing about Good Fridays leading into fantasy, as you said, it it was that we were hearing for months that who's getting invited to Hawaii? Pete Rock is there and RZA is there. There's a What Would Mob Deep Do? What Would Mob Deep Do written over the console. And then we started to get drips and drabs of it. And we just hear, oh, these people really were in the same room. And that's, you know, that's incredible to imagine what that could possibly be like. And we were along for the ride, you know. Did he lose the plot? Because clearly he did in some ways in his own personal life and maybe even with his mental health. But um, is he too, is he, he's our age. So has he lost the ability to marshal that kind of, um, that kind of uh, compelling long form, literally long form storytelling because he's too old to, to understand how the, the delivery systems work these days? Or is all of this just basically back burner where it's like, I, I mean, Lindsay Zolad's expressed this really well in her piece about the Carters, which is saying 
the thing that she found most hopeful about the Everything is Love album is that the whole album is about how they are wealthy enough to ch- to make a dynasty that their children are safe now. They mm-hmm. have made a better world. And she's saying something I agree with. If you can think that there's a better world around the corner, then this is music I want to listen to right now because sure. it doesn't feel like it. Um, but a lot of these things feel deeply divorced from the larger concerns. And so, I, you know, as someone who's been a fan of Kanye West for as long as he's been making music, I do actually still care about him and his mental health and his creative process as a person. I'm engaged with him in his music making, but the level of projected narcissism that's coming at us and a record about how like, I just need to hurt myself to feel things. People are getting hurt right now, you know, in the world and I'm having trouble engaging with it. And frankly, you know, that's another reason why I just, I actually thought going into the season of Westworld that I would be able to dip in and out. Because you wanted the escape. Yeah, or I was like, I'm curious about the storytelling they're doing, or maybe, it, but but the idea of frittering away time in a maze just doesn't feel productive to me. You know, it doesn't feel distracting. It feels indulgent and kind of aggravating. Now, the aggravation part of all this, that feels like uh, the responding to the the frequency that the world is vibrating on right yeah, now. Yeah, I don't and I, and think— I, and I, I don't remember It's not Kanye's so job to be George Bush doesn't care about black people guy forever. Sure. Um, and it's not the Carter's job to um, not do the things that they want to do artistically and aesthetically because they happen to come out on a weekend where it felt like the world was falling apart. Because frankly, if you look at Twitter long enough, it always feels like the world is falling apart. And it's important. I feel like it's tough to be selective about the things that are out of step with that. I agree with this. Because like, I just opened up this podcast talking about golf. You know what I mean? Like, so it- We all all need our escapes. But I take that to heart. You know what I mean? Where it's like, if you want to be real about some of the things that are happening in this world, we should probably- all stop what we're doing and dedicate our lives to making a more just existence for everybody instead of I agree. building up this stuff where it's like, hey, this is an okay distraction, but this is this is like a garish distraction. And it's like, I'm going to go see Day of the Soldado. That's probably like uh, counterproductive for yeah. the world that we live in yeah. right now. Um, it's, it's a really complicated conversation. I think I thought about that a lot this weekend because I think what happens is that if you open yourself up to the stream of information, it's very difficult to modulate your emotional state, you know? And I think that was the, you know, Kanye's last couple of months have been a real, like, this is, this is the darkest timeline of that. You know what I mean? This is a guy who has thrown himself into the 24 hour, seven days a week. Everything is on you. Celebrity moment. And really, like, gotten tripped up in there a lot. And I, I, you know, whether or not that's because uh, his concept of self is so shattered by living in this celebrity microscope or not, I can't really speculate. But I do find it to be, these records are, and specifically Ye is kind of, in a weird way, emblematic of right now. Mm -hmm. It's distracted. It's not particularly well thought out. It's self-indulgent. It's pained, but it's also like the pain doesn't have a direction, you know, it, it kind of feels like it's here's, here's, I think this is pain. So I'm just going to say it like this. Like, I don't know. It, it's, it's almost difficult to listen to, frankly. I don't think I'll be revisiting it anytime soon, nor will I really ever, if, if times are ever better, going to go back to it as an escape from anything else. I guess, I think, I think that's very well said. And I think you actually turned my head around because I, I think that one of the things that I'm responding to is the fact that the Wyoming records and particularly the Carter's 
are successfully pitched at the frequency of the times in that the Carter record, the Carter's record is, is not designed to just be a record you listen to. It is designed to have been dropped, to be gifted from on it's high an to experience, us. With, an experience. It's a celebration. Yes. It's a complete and total, almost like assassin-like execution of image and sound. You know what I mean? Like, I think that they ex- knew exactly what they were doing. And I think that there is also a degree to which they don't really give a shit if you like it or not. Because if they did, they wouldn't have put it up Saturday afternoon on a music service that not that many people use. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And and you mentioned a moment ago what um, what Donald Glover said to us about um, competing with all media at the same time. Yes. The other thing about it that I, the other thing that he reinforced when we spoke to him that I really appreciated was how important it was to him that no one knew what Teddy Perkins was before it aired and no one knew what it was after it aired. That they still don't really get into it, yeah. And I think it's a really canny understanding of people's sensibilities and people's brains at this moment to actually give them something that people no longer think that they want, which is some element of privacy and mystery. Sure. And let it be. There's code. And yeah. I, and I, and I, I think that th- And I'm, you can try to decode it, but it's, they, it's a lot of the imagery and a lot of the things they're doing, they're saying like, here, this, this was all precise and this was all thought and pre-planned, but you have to do the work to figure it out. Yes, and I think that um, one of the things that I have trouble articulating about my difficulty with Westworld is that it seems to be designed by people who are very much in on the the larger machine, which is not to say that that Jonah Nolan and, and, and Lisa Joy are actually posting stuff on Reddit or that they're pitching it to Reddit. They're making the show that, that motivates them to make the show. They're following their own muse. But it does feel pitched at a frequency that is designed to excite the, I, you know, five minutes later, here's what I think it is. Sure. I solved it. And I... And I and I think that I'm bumping up against that in this at this particular moment. And I think I know we'll take a break, but this larger conversation is definitely an interesting way to look at Succession, which is a show that we're both interested in, that we are both watching on Sunday nights, and feels to me anyway, feels sort of like cordoned off from so much of this. And I I can't tell if that's a, in the case of Succession, I can't tell if it's a plus or a minus. And I'm eager to have you talk me through it. All right, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and get into Succession. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. If you love scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, you will love Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight partners with hotels to help them sell their unsold rooms, helping you find sweet deals at cool top-rated hotels. Hotel Tonight shows you the best deals at hotels you actually want to stay at, so there's no more scrolling through endless lists of choices. Even though their name is Hotel Tonight, they're not just for last-minute bookings you can book in advance, and it's perfect for planners and procrastinators alike. Hotel Tonight is the perfect way to find spontaneous weekend getaways, staycations, three-day weekends, road trips, business bookings, and more. And it's so easy to use. You can book hotels in just 10 seconds, three taps and a swipe. There's even the HT Perks program, where the more you book, the better the deals get. I've been using Hotel Tonight for about 18 months now, and I've used it for any number of trips. I've gone gone to Tahoe on it. I've done staycations in and around Los Angeles with it. Sometimes I'll just look at Hotel Tonight and see what the deals are to see where I should go. I let Hotel Tonight decide. Get the Hotel Tonight app now to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels. That's Hotel Tonight, the only booking app you need. All right, Andy, we are back. Um, I think Succession is the best thing on television right now, but that's sort of an intercontinental belt right <laughs> yeah, now. Okay. Uh, it's not, it's not a, a real, you know, 
world championship belt. It's we're kind of in an in-between time. I keep saying that, you know, I keep saying that we're in an in-between time, what, and I don't know if we're ever gonna be back in what's like, on the other side quote unquote high season. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, are we waiting for I don't know what we're waiting I'm for. waiting for glow season two next week, but okay. I don't know if that's gonna shift the paradigms. That can't comes back next week. Yeah, man. Wow. Yeah, they keep it moving. Okay. Well, we'll definitely be getting to that, but um I think that succession is in a lot of ways my Daytona on television. Okay. Um, the reason why I like Daytona in music is because it just feels incredibly precise. Mm-hmm. It's got its walls and it's got its its boundaries and it works within those walls and boundaries and creates the best possible space it can given the f- self-imposed formal limitations it puts on it. Succession is just a TV show. I think a lot of people want TV shows to be a lot of different things right now, but everything from the cutaways to a foggy New York skyline to the recurring motifs in the music to the caliber and the pitch of all the performances, which I think in the pilot episode are all over the map, but then have increasingly gotten more and more on point. And the formal innovation that I think Succession makes, aside from the fact that... um, it's unclear as to whether or not it thinks it's a comedy or a drama, which I kind of find kind of fascinating. I respect that. Is it has completely sidestepped a conversation that I think has dominated television for a few too many years now, which is, are these people likable or not? It's besides the point. It is beside the point. It is beside the point as to whether or not you would want to get a beer with Kendall or Roman or or Logan or whoever these people or whether or not and the characters in the show itself whereas I feel like it's been a, a a trope of so many especially the trailers for shows because I they must have some market research that says people need to have this addressed is are we bad people that did a bad thing right, right, right. I'm not a bad man I you know I'm 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 a bad man and you shouldn't stay be with me I'm a good man you should it's none of that shit these people are all barnacles like they are all awful awful people but they are somehow interesting and i think interesting is still a valuable thing and i don't think that if you find them interesting it is somehow uh a you know a a referendum on what you value in the world sure so if you find like roman masturbating into the new york skyline from a 44th floor window or something if you find that relatable i don't even it doesn't matter it doesn't (laughs) have to be relatable i I think it's just like watching these people who are supposed to be the princes and princesses of a city are and this is the same as it ever was it's the same as i'm not comparing to shakespeare but it's these are henry the fourth part twos of like these fucking rich assholes who are, have always had this money and are now confronted with the limitations of their own intelligence or the limitations of their own position in the world and are scratching to make sure that they can continue their lifeline to the kind of power and money they wanted. And it's actually really funny. And I think the performances are excellent. I think yeah. I really, like. I'm like really keyed in on Jeremy Strong. I haven't really seen a character like Kendall before who is at once like one person when he walks into a meeting room and another person when he's like in private and is obviously like they're not laying it on too thick with the demons thing in the third episode. He is confronted with that a little bit, but yep. doesn't it doesn't have a moment it's of coming. crisis. I'm sure it is. But I don't know. I, I, I find a lot to like about this show. And I think that the third episode, and honestly, not to spoil anything, but the next week's episode are the strongest bits of television that I've seen in a while. I love your enthusiasm for the show. And I find myself agreeing with almost everything you're saying, except there's one 
place I just can't quite get to, which is I, I still don't think I care. And caring is a very difficult thing to parse with television. And again and again, I come back to this idea of like how we're choosing to invest our time, to spend our time, the intimacy of our relationship to these shows, and then particularly the intimacy um, that we choose to invest in shows when episodes are 56 minutes and there are many other things we could be doing with our time. Yeah. I'm I'm interested in the show and I am and I admire the show. I think it is doing I think it's operating on a very high level very early, which is extremely impressive. I think a lot of that has to do with the casting and the performance. I think you're totally right. I think that um it has a correct point of view as you said, which is that it 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 can't quite tell if it's satire or if it's tragedy or drama, but on a deep level it understands that they're all the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um it does a effortless job of communicating something essential, which is what you said, which is that these people who are the princes or princesses of the city are just rich assholes with daddy issues and aren't necessarily um, better at, frankly, anything than your average person or television protagonist. They just have the access or the connections. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Kendall character in particular is the heart and soul of the show. And Jeremy Strong's performance is fascinating. And if people were to ask me if I'm recommending the show, I would recommend the show maybe solely for this performance that he's giving because we rarely see an actor like him in a lead role like this. An actor in a lead role that is essentially doing a character part, but the camera follows only him. Both the character and the actor seem completely, well, not the character, but the way the character is pitched. So the writers who are writing him understand this and the actor embraces it. Ego-free. Because he's a doof half yeah. the time, you know? And the 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 ballet that he's dancing on the tightrope of Donald Trump Jr. is so well, intentional, they, but but artfully done. The show is is rightfully compared to Arrested Development and it, it's set up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's interesting is he should be Michael Bluth, but he's playing him as Job in the streets and George Michael in the sheets. You know, Nailed he's it. playing him yeah. as like this like complete buffoon whenever he walks into a conference room and he's making like, you know, lifeboats and, and all this stuff about Volter. But, but also his weird hip hop slang that he drops and, But then when he's in private, he's this sort of ineffectual, kind of sensitive guy. Yeah, and he's a guy who you have, what, what's dooming him is that he actually does seem to have some self-awareness, unlike all the other people yes. around him. yeah. Um, there are also some great supporting performances. I mean, I, I'm I'm here for Kieran Culkin and just about anything. It's a wonder that it took this long for him to get uh, a regular series role. Maybe it's because he was waiting for a part like this. Um, is it Sarah Snook? Is the mm-hmm. Australian actress who plays Shiv, who's terrific? Sure. And Matthew McFadden is just talk about like a, a like a, a Dion Waiters award, like a guy off. Talk the bench. about this guy because yeah. I, I'm watching the show and there's a supporting character, Tom, who's just again you watch the pilot and you consider what this part could be. We're introduced to this character as basically a a brown noser. Um, The performance is so good that he's now the character I'm most interested in. Yeah, and he uh, is coming off of a lovely, lovely performance in Howard's End. As Mr. He's, he's British, right? Yes, and he was in, uh, I think he's a Mr. Darcy in the past in Pride and Prejudice. I know that uh, Amanda thinks really highly of him in that. And... uh, I was sort of surprised to see him in this. I mm-hmm. thought he was kind of like, I thought he was a little bit bigger than that. Yeah, like a lead. Um, but he does such a good job of, again, it's like Kendall. It's not easily describable as to whether he's a sycophant mm-hmm. and he's trying to marry into this money or whether he is actually like a really good soldier and is is just dedicated and 
and in love with Shiv and wants to be it. And then will be bizarrely cruel to other characters to kind of put, make himself known as like, I'm, you may mm-hmm. think I eat shit when it comes from these people, but you're going to eat my shit. Yeah. It's all punching down. Yes. Um, but I, I you know, I, and yet I'm, I'm fascinated by him, even though he's a bully. I I'm going to keep watching, but there is this thing that I imagine I'm not the only person who feels this way that it, it, it just, because again, maybe it's where I, what the baggage I'm bringing into my experience watching the show is making unfair requests of it. Mm-hmm. The show is responding creatively quite well to the moment. And it's, it, it has chosen its um, aperture. It's choosing the story it wants to tell. Mm-hmm. It's doing so without tipping its hand one way or another, which is everything that I admire in, in art or in television. I think I'm bringing some baggage every time I sit down being like, I just, at this moment in time, I don't fucking care about rich assholes. And I'm almost angry that I have to spend time with them and watch them dicker around over their stock price when I want them all to have their heads on pikes, basically, <laughs> just on an emotional level. Sure. Um, what's interesting about it to me is that this show is arriving at a moment when I do think a lot of the people who watch these types of shows are more in the headspace for a Mr. Robot. And, you know, in terms of like a bottom-up show as opposed to a top-down show, it's kind of interesting to me to consider this is a thought exercise. You mean bottom up in terms of economic? Yeah. Mr. Robot is a, is a show that is ostensible. I mean, it's doing a lot of things. Um, and obviously I'm biased and we're biased about Sam in general. But the the thing about the hook of the first season is that they're going to tear down the 1%. Right. You know, and then it has unforeseen circumstances, certainly. But the people, the 1% that they're going after, at least through three seasons of it, are actually are masters of the universe. They actually are pulling off this sure. show on a crazy Machiavellian level. Right. You know, um, if what if the Roy family was in charge of E-Corp, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not trying to do a mashup just because that's a show I that's know. on my mind. I know what you mean. But I'd be very curious if it would ever even be possible to have a show that had its arms around both halves of, of the equation, meaning a show that gave time and space to the 99% and the concerns and the potential foibles of that. And then also allowed the masters of the universe they were railing against to be this deeply psychologically scarred and fucked up. But it's actually kind of more, maybe maybe that's just asking for everything. The fact that we have both shows, you put them together, it paints a picture of a world where everybody is screwing up in the box that they've ended up in. Yeah. You know, and, and so it's almost like I kind of need the ballast of the other in my mind to approach this. That said... I, I, I just to tie it into the previous conversation, Succession Island feels far away right now from the culture, doesn't it? I mean, it, is it because— Oh, like, do you mean, like, are people really into are it? Are people watching the show? I think show, people are going to catch up a little bit. This feels like something that people will get into over, the like, the first season, and mm-hmm. then maybe the second season it will be a little It did get renewed. Bit- so this is, this is for people who are on the fence. Like, there, are, there is going to be more of this. I yeah, know that it got renewed, and I decision. think that— uh, I think there's a lot of confidence about it by mm-hmm. by what I hear, but you know it's often compared to Billions. Billions was another show that needed a season to figure out what it was and needed to know how long it was going to go before it could start using up its its different plot points and mm-hmm. pushing people forward. And Billions is now like this huge ensemble that has the confidence to allow different characters to shine brighter than its leads. Mm-hmm. And so I'd be curious to see how Succession adds people on as this as a Seasons go by. Just to wrap up, uh, you're ta- uh, you, you you like the show a lot. You're, you're engaged with it. You're excited about it. 
are you at a point right now, are you considering shows on two different levels? Do you, do you consider shows that you love because they are entertaining and they're engaging and you're having fun with them and they're fun to sit down and watch? And do you also have shows that you feel like are grabbing you and all, is, is there a difference between a head and heart show for you in 2018 or is this, are they one and the same? Oh, do, I mean, are there any head and heart, like shows that are both head and heart? Yeah. And is this, is this an example of it? I guess that's what I'm asking because I, from what I gather, a lot of people love Billions and I definitely am going to go back and revisit it because it sounds fun because it seems like Billions has embraced being a heart show. Not that that diminishes it. I don't mean that pejoratively, but it's a show that entertains. I think the that fuck the by all accounts, the third season is a little bit more of a head and heart show. Yeah. I think the second season is definitely a a an aesthetic kind of you know jacuzzi because you're just like, oh, they're drinking Michters and they're eating sushi yeah. and this is they're cursing and making this reference. And uh, do I have a head and a heart show right now? I think the good fight was the closest thing to it. Um, but for the most part now, I think it's a little bit more like shows are either an intellectual exercise or a comfort food. And so right now, Succession is comfort? Or is it I think it's the closest thing to both. I think it's the closest thing to both because I find that the characters, even though they are on the surface very recognizable, are not like are unlike people I've seen before. It's interesting because even anecdotally, when I've talked to people um, and TV comes up, what are you watching? What are you talking about on the podcast? I, I've been shrugging. I've been saying succession with a with a question mark at the end of it. And then, you know what people say, tend to say then? What about Barry? Did you watch Barry? I'm like, yeah, we did. And we loved it and we talked about it. And it seems like there's been like an ellipsis after Barry. You know, like that. that's the last show that grabbed people in a certain way. And Killing Eve, of course, as yeah. well. And then- I mean, we shouldn't like- there's been good stuff this year. So there's been good stuff. There has not been as good as much good stuff as last year. But it, it I, I do wonder, and we're going to end on this, and clearly our heads are all over the place this week, and I think it's interesting even to comment on that. The, the Many people are watching and loving Handmaid's Tale. We tapped out. Mm-hmm. And anecdotally, I don't think we're alone in that. Um, and I will be, I'll be curious to see in the weeks ahead as more and more stuff comes at us, what what grabs that third rail and engages people head and heart um, going forward? Because I think Handmaid's Tale did yeah, last year. I'd be I curious think- to know about it in the Facebook group, what people would say are their head shows, heart shows, and head and heart shows. Let's leave it at that and continue the conversation. All right. Talk to you Thursday. Great job, Baranski.